This is Wave Shaper, and you're listening to the Paradise Arcade. The Paradise Arcade contains graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to the Paradise Arcade with Kyle and Eric, promoting synthwave music and culture. Welcome to another episode of the Paradise Arcade. This week, we have a very special guest, uh, Wave Shaper Tom. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, we're very excited to have you on. Um, it's kind of a it's a big deal for us. Yeah, when we started out, we were thinking about who are the names that we really want to get on the show, and you are one of the first that were mentioned. Oh, that's cool. The upper echelon of synthwave. If you want to be called synthwave, I you know it's a little bit divisive term. Uh, yeah, it is nowadays, but I'm I'm fine with that. I think that's where we came from, and we're still going with that. I don't. Although people are exploring new things, but yeah, I mean the foundation is synthwave. It's what it is. Yeah, yeah that's really you know, and being one of the originators, it's it's got to be an interesting thing for you to see, you know, some from 2012-ish to now, almost being a full decade in, the the evolution and what things look like and where things are going. Is there Has there been anything interesting in your time in the space that you've observed? Yeah, I think it has been a very fun journey to follow this progression over the years. Because I remember when I jumped in, like you said, around 2012, uh, 2013 there, uh, I met some other colleagues here in Sweden, Robert Parker, and uh, there were some other people doing this. And, and we, we stick around for a while. And I remember we were always calling the evolution of Synthwave for like different waves. So we said that we are wave two, because before that we had like Mitch Murder, we had Mammy Nights, and we had Lost Years and those. So we came in the, uh, the wave two. <laughs> And then, you know, with uh, a lot of involvement in the popular culture uh, area, like Stranger Things and other uh, type of events, more people joined in. And then we thought, like, we must have reached the peak now. But obviously we hadn't at that time. And it still, it just kept going, you know. And then uh, what was the next one that really influenced the genre? Yeah, maybe the mainstream hit, like with The weekend, uh, bringing in the tracks Blinding Lights. Then we said, okay, now it has uh, taken like new land, which is pretty cool. We were pretty pro that. I mean, some people could be like, ah, oh, come on, we have done this uh, for a long time, etc. But uh, yeah, so it has been, for me, quite a surprise to see that it's still going. And, and it's a little bit fun when you said, if you want to, uh, if you want to be called synthway or not, because I think quite many people has, uh, you know, tried to distance a little bit because it has been saturated in a way since so many artists are involved now. But I think, yeah, I, I will not like ditch the genre because it's where we all came from. But obviously, we need to do new things, and I think that is a part of synthway. Mm-hmm. It's doesn't only need to be this cliche, uh, you know, uh, palms and uh, DeLorean stuff, you know, <laughs> and the grids. Uh, <laughs> that has been overused. Uh, I can I can tell that, <laughs> of course. 
but so so for me it is very cool and fun to see that many artists are bringing in their you know thing into the music and that is that is quite unique i would say and that is still what really uh, takes me to uh, like uh, be a part of this is because it's so plain uh, playful uh, mm-hmm. playful you know there is you can do whatever you want i took some ms dos inspired stuff for some music i haven't seen that many people following on that trend but <laughs> for me that was fun if you know what i mean for yeah. me that was very important and that i had a room to do that with this genre and it was appreciated that is cool that is really cool you it it's interesting i i try not to get involved too much in the the forums and in those groups because they 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 can be a little tribalistic um Mm. but i i do get the sense that if you want to do ms dos based synth or whatever it is there's so much room to just be playful and to experiment and there this new emerging subgenre which is data wave which is sort of like takes like bits of calm truths and bits of chill synth and it's so like Memorex Memories is part of that. A Demon would be part of it. Um, it's it's really interesting. Data, data wave. Data, okay. And and you know one thing that I have been reflecting on 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 this topic quite a lot is that the underground genre today has a far more reach than it has uh, than it had during like uh, 10, 15 years ago when we didn't have the digital media of streaming etc. Mm-hmm. So I mean today. This kind of music can be quite established within, uh, you know, YouTubers, Twitchers, other streamers or uh, video gamers. That wouldn't have been possible for like 20 years ago. So I think that's very fun to see that the underground movement can have such a big fan base today. Thanks to, I mean, it's an internet genre, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that is, that is opening up quite a lot for us indie artists. I mean, we don't, because I remember when I started to make music, my goal were to uh, be played on the radio. Right. That was, I mean, the, that was the yeah. only avenue. It was. And, and I was pushing that so hard because that was the only area that you could be like, have a spot for your music to be shown for others. But today, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a completely different uh, ballpark. And uh, I think that is, that is inspiring, I would say. Yeah, that's... Uh, it, was MySpace a big part of your early music journey? Yes, it was. Because when I was making music, um, that was the way that you connected to other artists, was MySpace. Yes. You'd find the, the different things, and you'd hook up with your people, and you'd find people that helped distribute, because there wasn't playlists, per se. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Um, there wasn't playlists or things like that. You'd find another person in another country and they would help push your music and you know it went that route so i liked myspace for that reason i know like that's dinosaur shit to say but yes it's very old you know and just thinking about this i'm frightened to think of what my music taste would be like if the internet weren't a thing if i didn't have access to find all this different music it it would be a very sad day Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember also in the early days of music production, uh, I think quite many of us bedroom producers or hobby musicians, we were also hanging out in different studio forums. So we were uploading music and people gave feedback and things like that. And that was around 2006, I would say. 
I think. Yeah. Quite a long time ago now. Yeah, no kidding. And how how have you changed? You, you've been doing this for so long. Your music has had a, a progression. Um, what's kept you inspired? What's held your imagination? Because you're still sort of in the genre, but you obviously have to grow as an artist you have you're a different yeah. person than you were 10 years ago so what's keeping you yeah. going yeah that's 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 a good point uh, because i think i've been doing quite various uh, different uh, genres in the past started out with making electronic music in the early 2000s with like trance and techno music and then all of a sudden i found this you know genre which was uh, for me like uh, yeah the perfect thing you know because with all the retro elements of video games and 80s soundtrack that kind of stuff so it was quite natural for me to do this kind of music and i was surprised that people even would listen to it you know because mm-hmm. it was so nerdy oh <laughs> hey look at this i made a remix of uh, scar tra- uh, scarface thing okay <laughs> i'm not like that one uh, uh but as for progression i think uh, the latest years I'm always striving to like evolve my mix, evolve my sound. I'm not afraid to bring in new elements. It is still interesting for for me because I do it uh, like a challenge for myself that every new release needs to bring in something new. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been asked quite a lot of times, why don't you do a Station Nova 2? And I said, I simply can't do that because I did that one and that was the purpose of that album, you know? So, uh, and I think it is important for me to stay motivated. And that's maybe why I brought in the like MS-DOS Wave uh, 66 and 100 megahertz track because they were fun for me. Yeah. And then I was like, great that other people enjoy it as well, you know? Um, and, and as it is today, when I'm sitting here now in 2022, still doing this kind of music, I'm not thinking like it needs to be a pure synthwave track. I, I, I'm trying to bring in other elements uh, that I found find to be, yeah, fun and creative. I would say. Yeah, I think like with the newest release, it's a uh, it's funky. It's got a funky, um, daft funky sort of vibe to it, which I love. And and to see that progression from where you started to where you are now, it, it's it it seems like you're having more fun. Is that true? Are you still like because the music comes across as being energetic and fun and funky. Yeah, yeah. I think I think when I if I go back, I, I think when I started, I was like, how should I say, very sci-fi oriented, space uh, influenced for for many of my early uh, uh, compositions. Uh, so uh, so yeah, and, and it's it's also fun when you mention Daft Punk. I always have a quite you know big respect to those guys. Sad to see them leave. Uh, last year uh, but uh, that is that is important because they started out the same I would say they were experimenting with a lot of things that was completely new in the mid 90s so I, how should I say I mean they were young then they were nerds they were uh, <laughs> interested in synths so yeah it's a perfect match <laughs> mm-hmm. it's very surprising to me that they got play that early on on mtv like they did because it was so different 
yeah yeah it is it's, it's quite cool because uh, if if you look up on the internet you know in the days where they didn't have the helmets mm-hmm. it is pretty cool to see those uh, you know uh, those parties that they were playing at they were like basement stuff in paris and they were having like a roland juno 106 and a lindrum drum machine and did all kind of kinds of experimenting stuff so uh, i mean they were how should i say at that time it was very playful for them and i maybe that was the reason why they uh, why they stopped you know because they felt like with the random access memory they have also progressed you know if you listen to their disc- discography they have the human after all album which is pretty cool with a lot of uh, synths uh, low bit stuff and then with the random access uh, memories uh, i think that was the end for them because they did like this studio album with uh, guitars and a lot of elements so uh, yeah and then I'm looking at myself and seeing, am I also going that direction? You know, <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit weird. Uh, but yeah, to tidy up again to what you asked in the beginning, for me it's all about if I have fun, I hope that the listeners will enjoy it because I think, I, I think they will if I try to elaborate with some new stuff. I'm recently being into this, like, yeah, yeah, the listeners can't see it here, but this. Uh, I'm trying to, how should I say, uh, for each release, I'm trying to limit myself for some certain gear mm. or software synthesize or something. So, for example, the things I did in the, in the past, I'm not, even, I'm not even considering to use that VST or synth anymore because that was uh, uh, like connected to a certain album. So I'm bringing in some new synths, some new gears always help to boost motivation as well. Okay, that's kind of related to a question that I was going to ask you. Is I think that you may be the king of hardware. I think you might have more <laughs> hardware than anyone else. And I was yeah, going I, to ask, you know, with keeping things fresh, if, you know, yeah. each time you got a new piece of gear, if you wanted to incorporate that in or how you did that. So yeah. that kind of answered that question for me. I like that. But you do have yeah. a lot of stuff, and it's amazing. Yeah, too much, too much stuff, maybe. But but there is actually an explanation for it because uh, it's not an excuse for having a lot of synths because I like that. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, when I yeah, this might sound a bit a bit weird now, but I I, I remember you know when I grew up as a teenager, I I was. Uh, very nerdy in terms of analog synths and what i was like 17 16 years old uh, because i started to explore the music in the computer and then i saw these software synths and realized okay this is emulation for from some hardware stuff so <laughs> while my uh, uh, like like aged uh, friends they bought like fancy cars and motorcycles and I bought an old ARP 2600 from the 1970s, you know, imported from the US. And that was weird for me, but I had a passion for that at that time. And since that, it has kept with me for like 20 years. So it has taken a lot of time to like build up this weird arsenal of hardware synthesizers, you know. Um, and then, then at a time, maybe it was three years ago, I said to myself, why do I even need this one now? Because, you know, you can do the same sounds in the computer. You can. I mean, I mean, the difference today between a hardware synth and a software synth, they, they are so small. 
But there are some synths that has some unique attributes. For example, my Roland Jupiter 4 here. I, I simply can't get that sound from something else. And, and it's the hands-on thing that really creates this motivational, inspiring thing, I would say. And that you can't sometimes lose when you sit in front of a screen all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think three years or so, I realized that I really need to have these hardware synths in order to get the idea starting, you know? Because sometimes it is very creative for me to just fiddle around with these ones, even with the computer shut off. Mm -hmm. Because I've been doing music for so many years now and opening like Cubase or another DAW uh, music system can be a little bit uninspiring because you only see, okay, it's a blank project. Here we go. Where do we start? I don't know. Right. <laughs> but having help from my friends, that helps, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so... Do you sit down and, and do you just try to find a tone or a sound that that hits you and then you build off of that? Or do you start with a melody or a bass line? Like, or just it just depends on whatever it is. Yeah, I think it depends. Uh, usually sometimes you start with a melody. Sometimes it is with a beat and uh, a sound. I think for me, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much nerdy into like sound design. That was probably also one of the reasons why I started with synthesizers at a quite young age, because I was fascinated by, uh, uh, you know, a lot of uh, sound designs in video, uh, in, in movies, I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember, uh, I mean, one obvious thing is the ARP 2600. It was uh, used quite a lot in uh, Star Wars, and it was used in uh, Riders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Uh, there was a strange humming sound from that arc that was made by that synthesizer. So I was really like, okay, this is uh, cool. You can do both uh, sound design and fancy electronic music. Because at that time, I also knew that Chemical Brothers had the same synthesizers to do quite a lot of weird techno shit with it. So it connected to me in many different aspects, if you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So who were who were big for you growing up as far as musical inspiration? It sounds like you've been into electronic music for a long time. Your hair, you're talking Chemical Brothers, and we're talking mm -hmm. Daft Punk, and, and those guys have been around forever. Who are big influences for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we go way back, I mean, I remember uh, doing some uh, crate digging at my dad's uh, vinyls, and then I found uh, Sean Michel Char's Oxygen. It was frightening as a kid to see <laughs> that, you know, skull coming out of the earth, you know. So, I mean, just looking at that <laughs> artwork, I understood this is some interesting, different stuff. Uh, so I asked my dad to play it. And uh, I mean, obviously, he was into this kind of 70s uh, synth music. And I, 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 I can't remember which age I was, you know, maybe eight, nine years old, maybe. And that really was probably the first time that I can remember really that I was drawn into this kind of music. And then later on, I found more of his music and the Kraftwerk and that, that kind of stuff. And I mean, growing up in the 90s, which I did, uh, born in the 80s, I was drawn a lot to uh, video game music and like uh, Commodore 64 stuff, you know, uh, 
because uh, I've always been very much into instrumental music. Mm-hmm. I never really paid attention for lyrics, you know, because all my friends said, have you heard this new song by blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I have, but I never really pay attention at all to what they, uh, what they sang about, you know. As <laughs> so I was, I was listening to the sound design really, and uh, I mean later on after uh, being in the teenage years, I was as you said, drawn into that time was the late nineties. Uh, that was Daft Punk and uh, Prodigy, Chemical Brothers, uh, because I think. In my high school years, in this uh, um, area in Sweden, a lot of uh, people were playing in bands. And you know, in the 90s, it was the, like a punk and a, a grunge uh, kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, that we were about to get out from, I would say. So I was drawn into like the Prodigy and Chemical Brothers and Daft Punk. And later on, you know, going forward, I explored more uh, French stuff. The Justice came along. And then eventually I found uh, Kavinsky in probably 2007. I think he had a quite early EP called Teddy Boy or so. It wasn't really synthwave. It was like French house stuff. So that's probably my journey. <laughs> Growing up on 70s synths, then video game music, uh, Daft Punk, uh, Chemical Brothers, Prodigy stuff, and then finding out the French acts of French house, which eventually led me into this genre. Very short summary, but that's that's the journey. I would say mine is pretty similar. So yeah, I like that. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're alike. <laughs> In what ways? Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just. I think. I think for me, still, you know, this kind of uh, video game music, uh, like from the Commodore sixty four. I can still uh, play those tunes even today because they were limited to three tracks. And at that time, the production were like a programming skill. I mean, to do that kind of things that many of the composers did back then was like genius moves, I would say. And to create those kind of harmonies, melodies with a limited, uh, like, uh, yeah, limited number of tracks and, and, uh, and hardware. That, that was that was for me amazing. So I still even today listen to a lot of that music because it was very inspiring. And I would yeah, say sorry, it's yeah. it's rubbed off on your own because your own way of making music because you're sounds like you're limiting yourself yeah. going into making mm-hmm. new music to inspire yourself or to force yourself yeah. to think in different ways. Yeah. So it's an interesting through line that you you appreciate Commodore sixty fours limit but the the brilliance of what they're able to do and then you're you're doing very similar things um mm. what other things in video game uh music were you into like the japanese titles were you um like what drew you in to the video game music and how's yeah, that yeah i mean you? i mean yeah I, I think that different kind of uh systems had their you know, uh, spotlights. If if I look at uh, NES, for example, it is the soundtrack of uh, Castlevania, the Konami, and, and, and I mean, Mega Man soundtracks, amazing. I mean, Mega Man 2 and Mega Man 3, for me, I, I, I yeah, that is uh, a really a highlight. With the melodies, especially the melodies, I think that what's really uh, uh, bloom out in those soundtracks, exceptional, amazing melodies. And... <laughs> I've been telling to myself when I 
I uh, am I, when I'm evolving with my music, I'm trying to say, okay, maybe this time I shouldn't do as many melodies, but <laughs> I can't really because that's really my thing, you know, to to work with melodies and and the harmonies from those. So uh, yeah, I, I think it, there is a reason why I keep doing that, you know, with the <laughs> legacy that I just uh, had with those video games. Yeah. Mega Man Two. That's it's it. A, it's amazing. Everybody, everyone loves it. If, if I have yet to find one person say that that isn't an amazing soundtrack. Yeah, it's really, it's really perfect. And I mean, still, if 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 I go back, I mean, uh, the Commodore sixty four, it was uh, really cool, you know, with uh, with Outrun uh, uh, soundtrack. It it came from the Sega. Uh, cons, uh, uh, arcades, of course, but it was ported into the C sixty four, and that was the first I heard, uh, you know, uh, the soundtrack from Out uh, Outram, which was really cool. And I mean, but still, uh, I mean, I I can still remember quite a lot of video game music from uh, like the PlayStation one. I mean, Metal Gear Solid had a very cool uh, uh, soundtrack in in that sense from which i believe was harry gregson williams who also done quite a lot of film music and uh yeah i mean i could talk video game music for uh, <laughs> a long time if you want but i think i think that's uh and and then for me i was one highlight of my career was when i uh, was asked to do video game music because that really connected the strings you know because mm-hmm. i was i was at that time, I was really feeling like, oh, shit, is this really happening? I am about to do some video game music now. Oh, my God. And, uh, you know, sometimes when I look back on that now, I can feel like, yeah, uh, that was that was it. You know, it connected the strings. I have done really what I need now with my music, if I say so. <laughs> you know? It came full circle. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It, it It's it sounds like you know you hit on a a lifelong like dream to to make video game music uh i can't imagine like how awesome that must have felt like is this real yeah. is it really happening am i really here yeah yeah it is actually a, a very fun process because in this project uh, that i did with fury uh they also wanted the music to uh change depending on what the character did you know in a fight scene or some other uh, just a walking scene the music should evolve to what the player did i mean so that is even if you work with uh, yeah, music for a movie that is much more simple because i mean you adapt music to the recorded footage you know? mm-hmm. but making music that should gradually adapt to what the player is doing yeah that was challenge but also very very fun how long did it take you to do that project? Uh, I, I, I think it was some iterations uh, back and forward with the developers, but we kind of matched quite quickly because, I mean, obviously they found my music and asked if I wanted to mm. contribute to their game. So uh, I, think, I think I've wrapped up that in uh, yeah, a couple of months, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that you're quite uh prodigious just getting right through it then yeah i mean if you if you hit the motivational vein i think you must you know hold on to that Mm -hmm. so it could be for my production really look like that i can say to you know my family 
hey, daddy needs to be in the studio now for some day. <laughs> no. Because if, if you really find that motivation, the, my main message is to, I mean, take it. Yeah. You know, why you have it. And I think that is going with all kind of art, I would think, you know. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's important for me. Has, have you noticed a change in your um, inspiration uh, and frequencies as you've gotten older? You know, from say 2012 to 2022, how's your yeah. music process changed? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm more hard to myself. I think when it comes to quality, I think in the early days of music production, I I just like release music, and and I I, I don't know if you guys remember that time, but that was the golden age of SoundCloud, I would say. Uh, so in a sense, we released like music every week that time and there were quite a lot of blogs you know featuring the music etc so if if i look back that time i i would i'm I'm not able to release that much music that frequent anymore i'm more you know picky to myself about sound design or track arrangement or whatever it might be so that that has really changed a lot you know i'm not saying that i have writer's block but for me for example, when I did Mainframe, uh, the latest album, which only is eight tracks, because well, I felt this is enough, you know. I, I've, I have the concept now for this album. I think some people are, are expecting more tracks out of an album, but for me it was like, okay, it's done. I'm not able to deliver more on this concept, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think it's also good in a sense, you know, to be a little bit more picky to yourself because the quality will also be better in the tracks then. Go ahead. Definitely quality over quantity. Indeed. Mm. I think that's definitely something you get as you get older too. Yeah, but there is actually a trend right now. I mean, with, uh, with, you know, playlisting and uh, the golden age of streaming, there is a trend, as you probably already know, to like release more singles than albums. People are are, are seeing like singles uh, as an opportunity to get you know featured on playlists and get more plays on a certain track rather than on a concept album. I don't know if you have any preference of this or if you have observed this at all. We are both vinyl fans, yeah. Ah, so we like yeah. to take everything in album form, and I was going to say that an album yeah. with eight tracks, while some mm. people may think that's not enough, that's just about right for a vinyl mm. release. Four tracks each side. Yeah. About 20 cool. minutes of music each side. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I don't stream much. Yeah. Mm. So I I definitely would prefer album releases, at least mm-hmm. on my end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I, I, think, I, I think there is a, there is a trend, I mean, you know, with... Uh, I don't know if if you are into the streaming uh, business I would say I would say business because that is where you know the majority of the of the money is created nowadays of course I'm also a vinyl guy by the way I started to collect vinyls of like obscure 80s soundtracks uh, <laughs> early in my uh, years uh, but uh, I would say that people are trying to get out of one track more if you have noticed in uh, this in like mainstream artists, they have maybe an extended version of a track, maybe a deluxe edition, maybe a remix. Uh, so that's a trend that is currently happening because to get more streams on the uh, produced work, I would say. 
Yeah, I, I definitely, I know what you're talking about. It's, I, because a lot of friends that are producers, there's this stress, especially if they're not maybe well established. It's how mm. do you get your music out there? How do you get someone's attention? Do you get on Dr. Disrespect stream or this yeah. playlist or whatever it is? And it's trying to like always churn out the next thing. And so there's no real coherent um, releases anymore. It's just a single. Here's a single. Here's a song. As you say, an extended play, oh. a remix. That's a big thing now. Um, oh. And I, I it, maybe it's just because of our age or whatever it is, but a, a yeah. full album with a thought out concept with movement. Because I've always been more non-vocal. So I want my music mm -hmm. to take me through movements. Yeah. And you do that really well with an album. You can't really do that with a, a single. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pro that as well. And uh, for me, when it comes to album creation, it is a lot about storytelling. I pay quite a lot of uh, thinking about the track arrangement, you know, how to like, how to bring in the listener to this concept, you know, with uh, a strong first track and then maybe an energetic second one, calm it down a little bit and then maybe an ambient take, you know, that is important for me. And I think that is maybe also because I think it is fun to create like an audio experience that is able to create a visual experience for the listener. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely pro that kind of storytelling thing. It is just my observation that the music industry on the mainstream side then really is pushing for quantity. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a bit sad because as you also said, quite stressful for new acts to uh, be be like get recognition and uh, i think from for me because this is just an observation from my side because if i see newer acts jumping into whatever new music genre i don't think they have that much patience if if they don't have this music you know from their heart you know mm -hmm. because i can i think i was I've been there myself, you know, seeing some trends in music and feeling like, okay, I need to try out this dubstep stuff, you know? And I sucked at it. <laughs> time to do all the vowel bases and, you know, all the fine detail things. But at that time I was feeling like, okay, how do I get into this? But then you need to reflect and really think, this might sound like a cliche thing, but what's really from your heart? You know, what's, what kind of music means a lot to you? And then again, it is a quite funny thing that this music movement actually happened. I still can't believe it sometimes, you know, me doing like Terminator 1 uh, uh, versions in 2002, put them in a folder and uh, it's just for me. And then all of a sudden people want to listen to this, you know, mm -hmm. it's, I, I can get chills, you know, when I talk about it like that, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> it, in some ways, it seems like an anti-movement, an anti-pop culture movement because there is that space to breathe that that space to explore different thoughts because i i think in my opinion synthwave tends to be a more maybe a emotional nostalgic type of mm. music it in you know you could be datacore or space wave or whatever but it it evokes things for you whereas i think like modern pop music is just okay dance 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 uh, whatever, and then move on. It's it's really fleeting. It's a fleeting high where I think uh, this type of music is a lot more 
introspective. It makes you feel more. It makes you take space out of the the busyness a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly to zone out a little bit. I would say because for me that has also been a quite big thing with music production. It is an area for me to to just you know relax because music production for me has always been like a relaxing thing really not really putting myself on a pressure it's just to create this imaginary soundtrack for myself uh, that that can be very joyful mm -hmm. yeah i absolutely agree and i like i like it for that and, I like, and you know it's perfect for driving or sitting down in your living room listening and really just engaging with music and you really I like that in some ways, and, and I think this has to do with like our love of vinyl, is you have to engage with it. You engage with the music, you take the, the disc out of the sleeve, you look at the artwork, you sit down, you listen to it, you've got to flip the side, um, it, you interact with the music a lot more, and yeah. I, I think that tactile yeah, sense I mean, with everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, go <laughs> I ahead. Was just, I mean, that is a relaxing thing itself, you know? To just flip the sides and maybe have a beer or whatever and just listen to it. Maybe after a stressful work day or whatever. I, I really enjoy that. This is a conversation I have with my with my girlfriend where she does not understand why I love Synthwave so much. And like the world is so busy and has so much stress. Like this is the thing that really de-stresses me. It really calms me down a lot. Well now you've got an extra factor. You can know that when Tom makes music, he's relaxing while making it, <laughs> and you can relax while enjoying yeah. it. That's kind of meta, yeah. Although yeah. for me, making music when I tried to do that really stressed me out. That was not a relaxing process at all. Well, you know, and I don't do it anymore. Yeah, practice makes perfect. <laughs> but I mean, the one thing that I have been reflecting on this kind of music is really because, as you said, it's it's a nostalgic thing, you know, bringing elements from the past that meant uh, something to you uh, in your childhood, you know? But I, the later year I have reflected, because if you are in a nostalgic genre for like seven, eight years, in, I mean, you also grow older from the time that you were exploring these kind of things when you were a kid, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so this is also a reflection from my side, not trying to be too poetic here, but it is also a balance with nostalgia because you also need to look into the future mm -hmm. you can't really grab on too hard into this because it might disrupt uh, you a little bit absolutely because you're feeling so much for this old stuff that never will come back i mean it sounds very harsh to say so it i mean it means a lot to you it lays very close to your heart but it will not come back so if you're exploring with that kind of emotions too long the risk is that you might get a little bit depressed. So I was like at some time feeling I need also to look into the future, like with kind of my music, bringing, up, bringing in like new stuff that hasn't anything to do with this, uh, you know, nostalgic thing, because I see some people are sticking into nostalgia a little bit too hard, you know? Yeah. Uh, just a personal observation from my side. I think there is a fine balance to overdo it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I find that it um, if you cling too hard to nostalgia, um, and this goes for anything. Look at Star Wars people. You know, they mm. if you like, there's a certain sect of people that are like, if it's not the original three, 
it's all heresy, right? And they get quite they get quite defensive and quite upset when new ideas or explorations of themes, the progress mm, yeah. progression into the future intrudes into that nostalgia. They're just impervious to it. They won't do it. And I think there's a bit of that in our scene where there's some folks that are rigid in what things should be and sound like and, and how song structure should be. And then there, there's no room for experimentation or growth or new things within that. Going along with yeah. that, though, with the nostalgia thing, and as as you mentioned, Tom, people getting older, I have seen more 90s inspired stuff come yeah. out of it so yeah. maybe yeah. the older you get you think back well hey this point in time in the 90s with these things was also very good it doesn't have to always be about the 80s so then yeah. you get that yeah. aspect as well yeah very valid point i would say uh, because it needs to move with your age in some way and i think it is healthy to bring in other elements what it might be but I mean, nostalgia is still a very important part from for this uh, genre. So I'm not saying that you should not bring it in. You should, but uh, you should be a little bit careful of overdoing it. It's, it's I think it's the same with uh, popular culture in uh, like uh, uh, movies or series. I think yeah, we have Stranger Things, which obviously were quite early, and that was a big hit. And then you had some American horror story doing 80s things. And I was like, yeah, okay, they are doing that now. And then if more and more people will do it, it will be a little bit fed up, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's funny when you talked about Star Wars, because I'm, I'm also a, I'm a huge Star Wars <laughs> fan. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm pro Mandalorian or uh, Rogue One, or if it's a book of Boba Fett. I mean, they're okay. And, but it is one thing that I really reflected on. That was The Force Awakens when that came to the cinema. They really pushed a lot on the nostalgic moments because there is the Millennium Falcon. There is R2-D2. Yeah. There is you know, so they, But I got it at that time. But if they would have constantly trying to do that too much, it is a little bit, you know, Mm, yes, I know that C-3PO. Yes, he's gold. Okay. Yeah, so what's next? <laughs> right. <laughs> And you know that the that first one it was essentially just a replay of the first Star Wars movie, beat for yeah, beat. Well, it was all the same thing from A New Hope. So they're telling yeah. the same story just with new packaging. So people loved it. But I was left like I liked watching it initially because I'm like, oh my god, the rush of like this thing from childhood. And then when I actually sat and thought about it, I'm like, I really don't actually like this movie that much because <laughs> it's not it's not new it doesn't it's not pushing the story in any interesting way it's just retelling the same beats from another story yeah yeah that was that was clearly i mean seen in the last one of this you know uh, the new trilogy you know it was very much like return of the jedi uh, i should not spoil it here but if you and you also had uh, emperor palpatine there again you know mm -hmm. it's incredible that, uh, i mean it's the same actor actually playing him it's quite uh, hilarious you know uh yeah i so i get your point absolutely we're like i could always watch those movies the original ones if i want to watch them so do yeah. something i think nostalgia and i was thinking about this as you're talking tom i think mm -hmm. you're talking about the balance of not holding too tight onto nostalgia i think the correct balance is 
relying on yourself, what means things to you, what inspires you, what drives you as an individual, and being honest about that as your own person and not about what other people want. You know, I think there's a difference of like, I'm inspired by this thing, and here's my interpretation or art from it, as opposed to, well, I know the audience is going to like this beat, that, this other thing, this other thing, and then you create this generic nostalgia mm -hmm. thing. And I think, because there's like, like Dennis Villeneuve with Blade Runner 2049, I would argue that the new Blade Runner might be better than the original. And he does a perfect... I think he does a really good job of balancing his own love of the original with his own interpretation of what that means for the people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, I mean, in modern time, that was one of the few movies that actually kept up with the original. I was, I was a bit afraid when I was about to see that movie, but as you said, it, it really like uh, it, it was a perfect balance and homage to the original but bringing in like new elements. And maybe mm -hmm. that is what we are doing with our music as well. You know, it's a mm -hmm. homage and bringing in new elements that keeps it fresh and interesting. Exactly. Synthwave, the Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> edition. <laughs> Except, you know, uh, the production techniques of the 80s music is by far superior with what they were doing in the studio i was just reading an article about um peter gabriel and about how uh when he released so he basically created the gated drums that were used mm. in like phil collins um mm, in the air yeah. tonight and then went on to be influential in a lot of music like they were experimenting and doing a lot of weird stuff and peter gabriel was sort of like laughed at because he's bringing in these other elements but he was so strict like he's gonna experiment he's gonna bring in the stuff that he wants to bring in and now it's basically just influenced an entire generation of people at, mm. even though at the time it was a complete risk yeah and that was a bold move actually i think i think it's uh, it's it's really interesting as you said how that specific gated snare thing could be so big part of like today's popular music mm -hmm. yeah. and at the time like what the fuck is this <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah yeah and, and 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 you know you could find quite many obscure old youtube clips of uh, of you know uh, uh, studio productions uh, uh, from uh, like electronic music at that time and it's it's like you said i mean those stuff they were new and it, it's quite amazing how how people back then with synthesizer, which intention was to emulate like real instruments. I mean, the perfect thing is really the, the TB303, this, you know, uh, uh, bass line uh, synthesizer by Roland. It was, you know, the intention was to emulate uh, like an electronic uh, bass guitar. And it started out uh, like that, but no one really paid attention to <laughs> what it sounded like because it didn't sound like an uh, electric bass at all. But then, you know, it got like the biggest uh, synth in this like acid movement at all and techno music. So that, that, that's kind of fun how something that was created for some specific thing ended up to be a completely different thing. Yeah. So I have a question. What's next for you? What's, you know, what's, mm -hmm. what things are left for you to accomplish as Wave Shaper? Or is there anything 
that's kind of left out there. I mean, the, doing a video game soundtrack, dream come true, being able to do what you want to do. Is there anything left? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really enjoy to, to write scores as well for, uh, for movies. I have done a few, uh, but it's definitely something that I would like to do more of. And I mean, also speaking of video game music, I am actually at uh, right now working with two different video games. So uh, I think that is quite nice to see that. I mean, I have not really pushed them, but they have found my music and asked if I want to contribute on their games. So that has been a, it's still a big part for, for me and I, I'm really happy to, to do that. Uh, looking about because for me I'm I'm also been working yeah, quite a lot with you know crazy merchandise. I have done some action figures, some different kind of uh, floppy disk and things like that because they were fun for me to do. And I mean, if if you look at the, this year and going forward, I will do more uh, collaborations actually uh, with other artists because that is also a creative booster for me. To hear what other people will uh, read out from your music mm -hmm. and add their kind of signatures to the track. That is really uh, a creative process, I would say. So more collaborations. And then I'm, I'm also doing, uh, not really sure if it is going to uh, towards EPs or albums. I released an album last year, so I feel like... Mm, Next time it is probably towards an EP and try to like mix that a little bit because albums takes, as I said, quite a long time to finalize. Then lastly, I am also sitting on a lot of unreleased tracks, you know, and I've actually been exploring my music back to 1999, <laughs> finding some tracks that I feel like, okay, this could be something that listeners could enjoy to hear so i will actually release an album i don't know i'm not sure if it will be this year or next year it will be called uh, forgotten shapes i released an b-side album before that was called lost shapes <laughs> but now i mean even finding these forgotten shapes of music that i've been doing over the years that hasn't you know seen the uh, the spotlight yet so and saying that as well i'm also not just taking the track as they are because I'm not saying low production quality, but some had. So I'm I'm revisiting the old tracks and adding new elements to them. And that is also fun for me, you know, going back to a 15-year-old track mm -hmm. and to see, okay, this had some potential, but why did I put it on the trash bin, you know? Uh, so trying to refine them, that is uh, also a fun thing for me. You're collaborating with yourself. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Tom from 1999. How are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Can you talk a bit about uh, collaborating with others? I mean, that's got to be a, uh, an interesting place to get into someone else's head and play around with them and then vice versa. Yeah. Like you send someone a track and they do something and then it, it goes back and forth until whenever it's done. But that's got to be a really interesting process. Yeah. It is, it is, it is uh, how should I say, very exciting to, to hear what the other producer has come up with, you know. It, it could be that uh, I start with some idea and send it over, or it could be that you have a track that is almost finished and you want some um, help and contribution. 
and as you said, I think because it can be a little bit of a one-man show in this industry. I mean, we are all these, you know, individual people uh, sitting behind our computers. So I value a lot about uh, social interaction with others. And I think that you uh, being, uh, being by yourself in this kind of music for a long time, I mean, you, you will need to get some input from others. Uh, to not become like a cabin fever in this uh, music right. genre, uh, so that is that is uh, that is a fun process, and I think I, I I get quite many requests to do collaborations from other producers, uh, and and sometimes I feel a little bit down to uh, I mean to uh, to to say no, but I simply can't take in too much work, you know. But recently, I don't know if you heard my remix or my remix, it's, it's a new producer named Canapy Lee. I mean, this guy just contacted me on SoundCloud and said, hey, I liked your track, A Sense of Something from Mainframe. Uh, so I made my own version out of it. I was like, you know, I usually get these kind of emails from, from, uh, from then on now, but this one really stood out. And I was like, have you done electronic music before? No, I'm just starting. So I was really blown away and I said, okay, let's do an official remix here. And he was super happy because he was no name at all. Right. So from a promotional aspect, it was really, really good for him. But he didn't really value that. He really thought that it was fun that I appreciated the music he has done. So that was also a social human connection. You know, yeah. I can help him. And he did something for me that I didn't think was possible with that track, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really uh, cool. So yeah. Uh, what should I, how should I summarize this? I mean, it, it is important to understand that you can't really be uh, the, yeah, yeah, a one man show. It is, it is very important to get interaction from other people. I could see where if you were too much in your own world, it could get a little stale. Yeah. Would you consider doing like an entire album with another person? Yeah, I think if if you if you have the you know connection to someone and uh, that that you are like thinking the same uh, paths and and uh, I I think that could actually be a help to get even uh, more uh, creativity and motivation out of something. I think I think that the challenge will probably be I mean to uh, to commit to deadlines from both sides. You know there there are things in life that can come up and things mm -hmm. like that. So. That is probably one reason why people have chosen to do, you know, producing on their own because they can, they can, uh, they, they don't need to rely on others uh, to deadlines, etc. But I, I think I think doing an album with someone that you really click with would be very fun to do. Yeah. So you have a live show coming up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I'm wondering. How do you decide what gear to bring to a live show? Uh, 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 this this one is simple because this is in Stockholm, Sweden. So for that show, I can bring quite a lot of stuff. And usually we do that when I play in Sweden. Uh, it is easier to bring like fun gears because you don't need to fly with them. Every time where there is an airplane involved, then you're a little bit, mm, you're really <laughs> there to bring out this vintage stuff. But But I mean... So for me, that, 
that really opened up another box for live interaction, really. Uh, so I, I'm really looking forward to this gig now in Stockholm, 1st of April, playing there, uh, supporting Fool. I'm not sure if you have been listening to his music. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Is this really? Yeah, he's, he, I mean, he was he has done quite a lot of electronic music in the past and he he, he has been around for quite a long time. And then he jumped into the like synthwave uh, genre some years ago, but still keeping on with his thing. And I, I've seen he's growing a lot, you know, uh, with his music. Mm-hmm. Uh, also being supported by a quite big record label. So it's it's really fun to see that it goes so good for him. Rasmus, yeah. How is the atmosphere there in Sweden with COVID? Are you worried about that at all with the show? <clears throat> I, I think uh, I, the, the restrictions here, I mean, we were quite, <laughs> in the beginning of COVID, we, we, we didn't. Uh, closed down uh, so so but then then uh, a year later in the covid pandemic we started to introduce the same restrictions like in the rest of the world so of course that limited the live shows a lot so i haven't played live at all since the, the covid pandemic started uh, but now there is uh, i mean there is of course restriction you have the the vaccine pass and you also have uh, uh, limited number of people in the in the clubs and but looking at the situation right now with the omicron and you know the constant fast spread but not that many severe cases it would be interesting to see which way the government is taking this some of our neighbor uh, countries have decided to open up completely now so I really hope that this is like the end of the tunnel, that it gets milder and milder for every variant. But I'm not a pandemic expert, but I can just hope that we will get rid of this shit soon mm-hmm. and be able to play without any restrictions. But it is too early to say for me, of course, but uh, let's hope. Uh, is there a, a desire for because, you know, you're a family man. Um, is there a desire for you yeah. to do more to like you minus what's going on in the world do you want a tour do you like playing live shows mm-hmm. yeah i can i can talk a little bit about this because uh, during my years in this scene i have done quite a lot of uh, live shows both in europe and in the us and even russia uh one thing that i really enjoy i, I maybe not be the stage man i mean i do this music mainly as you know for myself you know and it's an internet-based genre. Uh, but for me, one highlight of playing live is to meet the people that actually listen to your music, to meet people like yourself that has a similar background in video gaming and you know, growing up. Uh, coming back to nostalgia again here, but that really connects. I remember when mm-hmm. I played in the US, we played at a hotel in, in Rhode Island at this neon festival yeah, neon. and I met yep. so many great people there you know uh, who and you know I'm a simple man I'm not coming there <laughs> like oh here come on. you know so I'm not really bragging at all about that so I really want to speak with as many people I can when I am out playing because um, because we can be you know we, we can have different uh, how should I say different scenarios and status in life I remember when I played in Budapest, I met quite a, a guy who he was probably, he, he hadn't the best life at all, I would say, quite harsh, but we connected with the music and that 
then it doesn't really matter what social status you mm-hmm. had. I mean, the music connected and we had a good chat and he was very happy to share that with me, you know. And I felt from my side that that meant a lot to me to talk with that guy and we only talked about music, nothing else. And no, uh, I mean, it was just the music. So that is one thing that is really important for me because internet-based genre, sitting in front of the computer all day making music, social media, comments, but meeting people in real life, a key, I would say. Mm-hmm. That also gives you, uh, you know, you know, uh, a motivational thing of why you are doing this because I, I've sometimes met people who say that my music saved their life and I was like, no, come on, it didn't. But then they're <laughs> like, yeah, really, I was in severe depression or what it, whatever it might be. And then I really understood, okay, so my mood, it's helping, you know. Uh, yeah, getting a little bit sentimental here, but that's, that's, that's important things for me, playing live, I would say. And, and coming back to your question about if I'm considering to play live more, I would say it's a balance between, as you know, family life and, and, uh, and really what you get out of it. But I can reveal that I am discussing live music with uh, quite many agencies that want me to play live more. Also, especially considering the US. So that will most probably happen. We just need to get this COVID situate, uh, situation out of the map. And then I really want to do a US tour, I think, because since I, when I played over at your uh, country the last time, that was 2018, and it was not that many shows, but it gave me a very cool insight about many of the cities that I visited, and that was also very fun. Mm-hmm. I would definitely be looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. I would like yeah. this to happen. Yeah, yeah, let's, I, I think it will happen, but the question is just when, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and then there is, you know, I, we have also been discussing some colleagues here in Sweden, what will the live scene actually be now when it has been, you know, stalled for this long, will people, will they longing after coming back to listening to live music again, or will they be more restrictive and be more at home, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say. But my personal view is that people really miss the atmosphere of live music and want to see that, you know, for real. I can say and, that uh, when we opened back up um, and did some live shows here, the the energy enthusiasm was pretty great. After being locked down yeah. for a couple of years, people were ready to get back out and go to shows. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think there will be a boost. Uh, it, it has been a little bit of a struggle, you know, the last years when you have seen that they need to postpone it again. Maybe some of the crew or band has got an infection and they need to cancel. So it would be good if all that kind of stuff can just end. Right. <laughs> and, and and we can rely on uh, on having it like it was in the past. But uh, yeah, we will we will probably get there eventually. That's awesome. But but I mean, for me, I, I think it also gets you a kick uh, of. Uh, because uh, as I said I'm, I'm not the stage man I said but when I am at the stage I have no problem to get into it you know because then the energy and vibe is so so nice especially I've been pay- I've been playing in Paris uh, f- I think the the last six year I played there five years um, and uh, the <laughs> 
the the nightclub scene in Paris is is really cool. They play very late, but they <laughs> they are very energetic. And uh, uh, I, I played there with the last time I played there was with uh, Comtrues actually, and we had a really great time also. And uh, meeting him because I also remember when I stepped into this music, uh, I listened a lot to his music. So that was also like connecting the circles a bit to to be able to play with him. And Seth is a really nice guy. He's really yeah, really great with his been. time. Very much uh, down to earth kind of guy. Uh, very relaxed and and chill guy to to hang out with. And uh, that was a good time. We stayed at the same hotel in Paris as well. So we had uh, you know breakfast day after, and that was like a crazy thing for me because you know I listened to his music before I started to this project. So yeah, fun. Yeah, that's gonna be crazy. Like the fur- full circle thing. I-, I find myself in that situation a lot, where being on the show or the previous show that we had, we talk about these certain people, and then we loop around to meeting them and hanging out with them and getting to know them, and these weird circles of connection. It's been it's been a crazy journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get to start out listening to your music, and now I get to sit here and talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. All right. Full circle. Full circle, yeah. Kyle, do you have anything for Tom while we are here? Yeah, I would like to change directions and go back to hardware again. Oh, yeah. So since you have so much stuff and a lot of it's old, do you do your own maintenance and repair on your gear? Do you find you have to do that a lot or is your stuff in really good condition? Uh, I'm praying every night that things will not broke. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they, they do. I mean, uh, uh, some of my synths are 50 years old. So uh, I have connection with some uh, local people here in Sweden that are really good at, uh, uh, you know, uh, synth repairs. So if something goes bad, I know who to turn myself to to get the things resolved. Uh, and And I think it can be a bit expensive, but since you have, you know, it's, they... Uh, you have invested in it and they mean a lot to you and, and they, they will not, you know, reduce in the value over the time. So it is important to make sure that they are in a proper condition. Yeah. That's good. You've got a museum of stuff that, <laughs> yeah. that you yeah, use. Yeah. yeah, but I think um, for me, when it comes to hardware, I think today there is it's actually fun because there has been a new evolvement of hardware when it comes to analog uh, analog synths. There's quite many manufacturers today that are revisiting uh, the old synthesizers uh, yeah, and making uh, uh, a new issue of them. For example, you have the Prophet 5, which, which is a legendary uh, polyphonic synth, which has now a revision 4. The previous one was a revision three from like the mid eighties, so it's kind of cool to see that they that there is a market for for this today, even with software. And a little bit surprising for me because I thought that hardware synths would like get less popular with more good software synths, but I think it might be like the iteration and the hands-on thing that actually. Uh, helps the, the the situation a bit more these days. Yeah, the tactile yeah, interaction yeah. for sure. Sorry, oh, so the tactile like actually touching something 
I think has yeah. a lot of ways to unleash creative things. Yeah. And I mean, the same goes a little bit since you said that you were vinyl fans. I think in the age of digital streaming, for me, when I buy vinyls, I obviously it's a nice quality when it comes to like the audio high fidelity thing. But for me, it's also about package. You know, maybe there has a, a nice sleeve, maybe there is a poster inlay, maybe there is something else. So it gives something more to the listener than just playing something on Spotify or other streaming service. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. Going off of that, Velocity is one of my favorite total package releases oh. on vinyl. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm glad you liked that. Yeah, the, the, the inner artwork there was made by uh, yeah, a Swedish friend here who does some of my artworks. His name is, his name is Artem. And I really like that, uh, you know, the inner um, part of that vinyl. It, uh, yeah, and that, that, that's also one thing that I pay a lot of attention to when it comes to packaging my music. It needs to have a good art to it, you know. Um, I mean, today I think it's quite important or it was important to, to be able to stick out a little bit from the rest to have a nice first impression of your music. I mean, your music might be perfect and nice and well-balanced and nicely mixed and all that, but for me, it has always been important to uh, connect it to some artwork that means a lot to myself. Yeah. Uh, I can spin off to that just for a couple of minutes here. When I did the track, yes, CRT Days, uh, that was heavily inspired by my childhood room by me, you know, playing like uh, early PC games like SimCity 2000 or Myst or my, what it might be. Uh, and then I met this illustrator who, his name is John Lee, Keebs, uh, Keebs, K-E-E-B-S it's called. And I, I really, he really uh, illustrated that artwork uh, perfectly capturing that, you know, uh, feel and essence of uh, me sitting in my childhood room playing those old video games, you know. Nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, here we are again. Don't, don't, don't overdo it. Yeah. Don't overdo it. Nostalgia. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I, I thanks for coming on, Tom. I think we're at a good point in the conversation to end the interview Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your time. It's been a great conversation. Kyle. Thank you so much. You've made a early dream in when early. we started this show come true by coming on. Thanks, guys. It was really relaxing to, to talk to talk with you guys. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Right. Until next time, this is Eric. And this is Kyle. Uh, thank you. It's a motherfucking paradise I can